Brew Nation. So happy new year. What a way to end 2022 with Brad Hightower. Uh, I got Brad on. Brad's got, Brad's wearing an awesome shirt. I guess we just start with <laughs> thanking the sponsor Viva, Viva Systems. And Brad Hightower, for those that don't, I mean, who doesn't know you, man? I feel like, you know, actually people are now discovering me because of you. It happened yesterday. <laughs> Somebody messaged me. Yeah, he's like, hey, you know what? The only reason I clicked on your profile is because Brad liked your post. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Come on over. The water's warm. <laughs> and so, Brad, man, you've like blown up over the last few years, especially on LinkedIn. And it'd be interesting to see how you how you take your career and especially your podcasting career um, further. But nice shirt, man. Thank you for wearing that one. Of course, I got I to gotta represent, you know, and <laughs> I always say, I mean, look, a lot of the re- well, really, the, the reason I, you know, broke off and started my own site was from from watching your content. You've been doing this a long time. You're the you're the uh, godfather of clinical trial content. So I uh, always, uh, <laughs> always been inspired by uh, the work you've done. So I appreciate that, man. That's crazy, man. I wonder how many future Brad Hightowers we're inspiring you now you know you're inspiring now with note to file podcasts in the future like it's kind of cool to see that happening and it's always good to get like real community-based people doing research especially ones like you're tapped into your community down there in Oklahoma we're going to get into a lot of that Um, this episode I wanted to kind of talk about employees retention training it's something that is not discussed that that often and it's actually one of the things that i don't know if i've struggled with but it's been one of my biggest challenges is like um managing you know that it's probably not my strength my strength is growing things sure not so much managing um but i've gotten better over the years so we're going to get into all that we're going to get into your cool post on how you attract talent from indeed by storytelling uh i I think that's amazing we're gonna get into that but before we get into that we want to thank viva all right viva by the way note to file podcast is also sponsored by viva Indeed. Um, shout out to brie and abby behind the scenes so viva they have site vault if you are a site and you want to dabble and you haven't dabbled because you say well I don't know. It's I'm not ready for it. Plus, I have to pay for it. You don't have to. At least you don't have to pay for it with Viva Site Vault. It's completely free. The plan is to never charge sites. Sponsors are subsidizing this. Viva has enough capitalization. I mean, they're a huge company. Just go look at their stock. I've been told not to discuss their market cap, but go look at the stock yourself and see <laughs> on a real time what it is, okay? They can play the long game. So they're they're they want sites to adopt because they know that more sponsors are going to pay them for their services and all their back end stuff too. It's not just Site Vault. Like sponsors use them for trial master files. Sponsors use them for a bunch of things. So try it out. That I've played with everything. I think it's great. My goal for 2023 is the delegation of authorities log digitally. 
Have you played with that yet, Brad? Not, no, not yet, not yet. I've, I've been uh, a little I, afraid, man. <laughs> I know, me too. I see it there, and it makes sense to me. But it, yeah, it's a little, uh, it's a, it's a little intimidating to sort of change your way of thinking about how that form's been filling it out for the last fifteen years. You know, mm-hmm. I will though. I will next year and early next year. So we just had a SIV yesterday. I had the opportunity. We had like our ISF come in. We're all digital now, but the ISF came in and we did everything except DOA log. And I was sitting there with the coordinator and the monitor. And I was like, should we do this electronically? And then, you know, we had to go visit a x-ray place. We had to visit a ophthalmology. We had to wait for our PI to come in. There was so many things like pressing time. And we said, no, nah, let's just do digital or let's just do wet ink. We'll, we'll, play, and then we'll upload it to uh, Viva Sightfall after. But, you know, you can still do that. You can use, you can use regular delegation of 30 log and upload it to Viva. But if you really want to jump in on the deep end, you can do electronic DOA, which Brad and I are eventually going to build up the courage to do. But in either case, sites.viva.com free. Not only that, once you join, let's say you join and you you don't even use it for a while. Your site's added to a list that only sponsors have access to that lets them know, hey, these sites are the sites using Viva Vault. So I don't know. Maybe you even get some studies out of it. Anyways, free. The people at Viva are really cool. Um, if Brad and I think they're they're decent folks, I think that's a good barometer. Um, but judge for yourself, guys. Go check it out. Yeah, there's there's no risk to try it, and you know, again, Not- we're in, we're slowly in the process of moving everything over. Uh, if, if that tells you anything, you know, how's that big, been going? Maybe that's, that's a good a lot transition. Of work. How how well, are you inter- handling that day to day? Like, yeah, it's moving? been. We're still on the front end and moving very slowly. Um, but you know, and this maybe ties into the bigger conversation too, because I've been doing a lot of our regulatory work, even still. Um, you know, managing some of that on my own. And now I'm starting to slowly uh, train another employee uh, to start managing the regulatory. Um, So yeah, it's just been a slow, steady Mm. process of of getting everything, you know, built out. The nice thing about Viva is it's all, it's all templated out like perfectly for you, right? You don't have to reinvent the wheel by coming up with naming conventions or, you know, document types. It's all kind of there for you that's not a plug for FIFA. Like that's legitimately makes it just so much easier to deal with rather than, you know, dealing with sort of a blank canvas. Uh, it's already, it's already kind of well put together for you. So, yep. uh, you know, it's nice and intuitive. If I can train somebody to do it, who's never even really worked in a reg binder before, that's a good, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. January 5th, we're interviewing another person who I think will be our hire. Um, but another thing about Viva, as we transition this conversation into employees and hiring, They'll fight for you. Like if your monitor wants to argue about, well, this is not allowed. They told us, hey, we have SOPs, whatever you want. We'll even like, we'll even get on the phone with them. I don't know how long that's going to last, but they're they're <laughs> willing to do it now. If you're having issues, message me and I'll, I'll connect you with someone that can fight for you. It's like Larry H. Parker. We'll fight for you. <laughs> okay, employees. Move. How many studies do you have right now? Hightower, Brad from Hightower Clinical, by the way. I think we have we have around sixty five active studies, and that's you know not all enrolling. 
five yeah, studies. Not, not all enrolling, and uh, you know, some are in, in follow up. Um, so it's it's kind of across the the board. Sixty five is no joke, man. You're competing with some academic medical centers now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's actually been pretty surprising how you know been able to grow so quickly and, and on a fairly small staff. I think there's now we have twelve employees. Uh, so if you do the math, that can be, sounds like a lot. Um, you know, I always, uh, intended to keep the workloads small for our, our coordinators, but as you know, you know, it's such a five studies doesn't equal five studies, right? Like it's, they're so different from one another. Some are very simple. Some are very complicated. So there's a, there's always some, <laughs> there's oh, always yeah. some art to balancing that as much as you can. And I certainly haven't gotten it all figured out, but, uh, you know, working on it every day. And you never know which study, I mean, you, you have a theory like, Hey, this study's gonna generate good revenue for us. And then you actually end up doing it and you're like, Oh, never mind. <laughs> I was wrong about that one. And then another one will surprise you and say, yeah, I'm glad I didn't say no to this one. Cause it's actually doing well. Yeah. It's uh, I've noticed, I was talking to somebody about that just the other day. I feel like there's such a, 80 20 rule sort of you know like your 20 percent of your trials are doing probably 80 percent of your revenue but you don't know. know what those are going to be you don't know what they're going to be until it's kind of i mean obviously the more you do it you can kind of get a, a an inkling but to your point uh, some of the ones that you're like this is going to be this is going to be the one and you get it and it's just a dog and then vice versa yeah. you get some that are like this might be tough and it ends up crushing so you know i think you gotta you gotta be in the game and have your processes in place and then then you're ready for when the big one does strike, you know? Yes. Sometimes you do get it right. Cause it's so obvious and you're like, yeah, I sure, know this one's sure. going to do well. And then you get it and you're like, yep, it's exactly what I thought, but that doesn't happen that often. <laughs> Maybe once a year, that kind of study, I think um, 65 is a good amount. So you start just a, like a one minute summary. You started this thing, what in 2016 or something like that? Uh, it's been f just about five, I think it'll be five years in February that I broke off, uh, from wow. my old job and, and, you know, started so doing 2018, this full time. 2018, yeah, you right. started high tower clinical and you've got, you get to the point where you have 65 sites or 65 studies. Um, what was that first year? Like how many studies did you get? Or did it you was have... it was very slow. It was me in a ten by ten room in a cardiology practice, uh, but by myself. Uh, I landed two kind of not great studies. They were very slow. I got a few patients in, um, and yeah, it wasn't that exciting, right? And then I was able to bring in a a neurologist and land a migraine study, and that was the first one Ooh. that propelled me to the next, you know, level. So it was a kind of couple that sort of, you know, treaded water. It was, they were fine, but they didn't really put me anywhere exciting. Was able to land that migraine and that kind of bumped me up. Okay. Now I can get some help in here. I can start continuing to grow. Uh, and it's been kind of like that, a series of growth with some plateauing. And then when those next, you know, money makers come, we can start to grow again and you plateau for a little while. And, uh, so the end you know, of that first year, what you had like what like half a dozen trials? Uh, at the think? end of the first year, I think we—that's probably fair. Yeah, I think there were you know a couple of like low-level registries that weren't really much, and then a couple of drug trials that were kind of meh, and then one good migraine study that brought us you know 
That's all you need. Thousand dollars. I mean, it is. It is. Well, that's wow. where you know it's interesting to me. I look back sometimes and I think like I could have stayed small. I could have stayed with just me and another person or two. Probably I've had worked my ass off, but been very happy with uh, you know what what came along with that. And uh, I sometimes wonder if that would have been the smarter move versus uh, <laughs> trying to trying to scale out too much. I think not that, that I've scaled out too much, but. No, you've definitely grown this thing. You just sounds like you're just getting started. But I think that's a, like a lifestyle business, like what you just mentioned, right. um, is something that's underrated because you're right. Like I always tell people, if you do two studies and you're the coordinator, like I have a lot of conversations with burnt out CRAs that I know could be good site owners, and I tell them like, hey, two studies. Keep it simple. Two studies. You're the coordinator. Just bite the bullet for nine months. Like you're not going to get any payment other than the startup. You can replace your salary with just moderately enrolling. You don't need to be high enrolling. Just moderately enrolling. And it's pretty simple to run two trials. I mean, you've got two monitors that are going to bug you every eight weeks, and that's about it. And you know what it's like to be a monitor because you are currently a monitor bugging other people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, but, but I mean, it's, it's you know, I've, you know, I always heard the uh, term lifestyle, you know, business. And I always thought that felt like derogatory for some reason. But uh, I mean, to your point, I think it can be, it's complicated. You have to start hiring people and you can't always be there with them every second of every day, you know, to make sure. And this isn't the kind of work where you train somebody for a week and you're like, cool, you're on your own. Good luck. Uh, which I know is something, you know, we want to talk about a little bit today. Cause I, I think you're right. I've, I like you, I think I'll admit, I feel like it's always been a struggle to train, uh, in a very effective way or efficient. It's just not efficient. Uh, you know, I feel like it just takes time and, uh, it's not always something you have a lot of, especially if you like us, we hire a lot of people who don't have research experience. Almost everyone. Um, Yeah. That's a perfect segue, but I do want to ask, I have a theory and I don't know your answer actually. So that first PI, your cardiologist, I have a saying, it's probably 80% true, 80% of the time, your first PI will leave you. Are you still working with that first PI? Uh, No, not really. Um, (laughs) See guys, I'm telling you. I think uh, more broadly, like the more successful you are, like the harder it gets to keep working with the physician because, uh, for a lot of different reasons, you know, all of a sudden they think, Oh, well, I need more money or I can do this without you. Uh, I've seen all kinds of different wackiness happen, but, uh, yeah, in some ways it's like suffer for being too successful sometimes. (laughs) I, I, I see that I've experienced that, but in my experience is usually that first PI leaving you is because, it takes longer, much longer than they think to start seeing payment. And then the second guy or gal comes in and they get paid almost immediately because it's everything that guy walked away from. So the sure. second one's like, this is awesome. And then they might get into that, you know, head in the clouds thing where this is too good. Um, and then the problems you discussed. But yeah, that's that's like another podcast. Let's get into that's, yeah, sorry. <laughs> let's get into employees. Because this is something not discussed a lot. You brought this up. I think it was you or Dr. Fox that had a post recently about, or somebody from Magi. I think it was Norm from Magi. 
like there's a lot of people talking about this theme, okay? Employees, sites, inexperienced or experienced. I guess let's start from the beginnings. Why do you tend to hire inexperienced? I think it's a few reasons. I mean, look, I came in, obviously, obviously at some point you have to come in without experience. Nobody starts out with research experience, but uh, I look back like in the start of my career in research, I was a phlebotomist. Uh, I liked, you know, what I did, but I wanted to do something more. Uh, when I came into research, uh, I hated it. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It took me probably two solid years before I had any clue how all this stuff fit together. It was, you know, I was part of an academic institution. Nobody really took the time to show me how it worked or really train me in any meaningful way. So eventually I, I figured it out over <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Uh, but I came to love it. I mean, there's so much breadth, like you, whatever you like, it, it exists somewhere, I think in, in the clinical trial space. Right. So I was like, man, this is like a uh, a hidden gem that people just don't know about. So for me, it's like I want to spread that with to other people. There's a lot of people out there who are smart, capable, have jobs they don't like. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. I, I love to bring people into the industry and and sort of share that you know experience with them. And then you've obviously got like I'm in Oklahoma City. There's not exactly a bustling research community. I mean, you can go to the university, but uh, I feel like and this is a, a post I made recently is somebody complaining about their experience in an academic institution. Like they don't exactly breed the greatest clinical research coordinators uh, with the best habits in the world. So I also think you kind of have the benefit of potentially a, a blank slate of uh, training somebody the way that, you know, you do things. Yeah, I agree. I think what, uh, one of the things like the, I learned this by accident. So one of my first employees back in 2006 was our front desk receptionist and she's been the front desk receptionist for the psychiatry group for years. And I just got to the point where I had no more capacity to do work. And I told her, I said, one day I told her, Hey, you want to do research? We'll find another receptionist. Um, and she said, okay. And fast forward, what? 12, no, 15 years later, she's a side owner. And this is receptionist. Like, there's no way this would have been possible in a regular, like, academic position or a university or just a large clinic. But she caught, she caught the right wave at the right time. And I think a lot of people, like MAs, medical assistants, CNAs, phlebotomists, like you said, mm -hmm. Um, don't even know. And I think to some extent they make the best employees because in a way, and this is what I really want to unpack because I don't know what it is, but I feel like once they see the opportunity, they're super grateful for it and they work really hard for it. Yeah, and no, I, I, I tend to, I tend to agree. I mean, I, again, I mean, we've, you know, this, like the sky's the limit. At, at a site, especially if you're not bound by some like weird bureaucracy of a, of an academic institution. So, I mean, a coordinator, you know, depending on how they're managed and treated can do extremely well. They don't, it doesn't have to be that 
you get the same crappy salary, whether you enroll zero patients or a thousand patients, which is oftentimes how academic institutions work. <laughs> there's no incentive for, in fact, there's more of an incentive for a coordinator not to enroll patients because yeah. then they got no paperwork. They got no trouble they can get into. It's easier yeah. to find reasons to exclude patients. That's been my observation across you know other institutions. So I think, yeah, to your point, you can actually create an environment where like people can go very far. Um, you know, they can have rewarding work and make good money. Now it's always, it's easier said than done, but that opportunity exists. The opportunity exists. Um, there is growth that needs to happen, especially when you're dealing with people who are technically trained, but not, um, they don't have the educational background. There is a good amount of writing needed for progress notes and, uh, but what I've noticed, these MAs, these CNAs, these farm techs, these even the front desk receptionists, like once all you're doing all day is like refilling prescriptions for psych meds, you start learning like, okay, these are con meds. Like in research, mm -hmm. those are con meds. They right. already know this stuff, you know, whereas someone with a master's degree or a PhD might not even know like the day-to-day -day practical things of what these medications are. They might know in theory, like, oh, this is the class of drugs, but they don't know like the milligrams, the generic name, the brand name, and like these pharmacy, uh, farm techs, MAs, CNAs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and look, I, I, it's been a while since I've been in academia, but I have to assume it's, it's mostly the same. But when I started in, I didn't have my degree yet and I was treated basically like an idiot, you know, uh, <laughs> because you know academia is a lot about how many letters you have after your name uh but to your point that, that's not that's nothing to do with how capable you know you can be as a coordinator or in any role you know within within research so yeah i'm with you i think again you can create big opportunity for people who don't necessarily have to have you know years and years of schooling uh, not that that's a bad thing by any by any stretch but you know, the more degrees no. doesn't make you any more effective as a coordinator. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but I feel bad for the, there's still more people than not that choose to get another degree as opposed to just starting small at a small research site. And I think it's a disservice to, to them. I don't think that's the practical route. I think that's the route that might feel most comfortable. Um, but not the best thing for them. I've just seen this like anecdotally from my own experiences. Um, Unless you want to do, you know, bench science or publish. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, that's I don't different. see that's, so yeah, different. that's a whole different. Yeah, I agree. I made it like a audacious little YouTube short the other day where I said, Hey, you know what? Like this debate kept coming up about more degrees or just start doing more work. And it's like, obviously, you know, the answer is the latter, but I made this audacious comparison of like, if a PhD Nobel Prize winner applied to my site to be a CRC versus somebody I know is like, can just get the job done. I mean, let's be honest, I'd probably pick the Nobel Prize winner for the marketing, <laughs> but like, take that aside, like in a vacuum. I don't think I'm picking the Nobel Prize winner. Like, right. can they retain patients? Like, if a patient doesn't want to come in, will they get in their car and drive the patient to our site? Or are they too, you know, prissy and say, oh, I want a Nobel Prize. I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, I mean, an extreme example will never happen, but it just, like, illustrates a point. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And that's where, you know, I, I do 
<laughs> look, my interview process is not very technical, but it's a lot about, I just want to get to know the people who are hire or trying to hire. Right. I think mm-hmm. the soft skills are just incredibly underrated. You're not going to necessarily pick that up on a, on a CV or resume, but no. you, to your point, you want people who are going to do, do what it takes to get the job done. And, you know, a lot of times in the beginning, uh, that's being comfortable with being uncomfortable as a new coordinator. I find that's a challenge for even, you know, I worked at a place where we hired a lot. They always hired nurses, very experienced nurses, uh, which you think would always be a great fit, but it's not. A lot of them don't like that uncertainty in what they're doing uh, and not knowing, because again, it's a long, it's kind of a long training process to get somebody uh, up as a coordinator. And so one of the first things I tell people is, hey man, get used to not knowing what you're doing. Uh, Not that, you know, not that you're dumb or an idiot. It's just that you're not going to know for a while. You're just not going to know. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we're dumb and we don't know either. And we're the exactly. state directors most of the exactly. time. <laughs> so That's what I tell them. I go, hey, man, every time there's a new study, I got to like refigure things out. No, Nothing is the same. I know that's, that's maybe so true, a stretch, man. but there's there's some processes that are the same, but they have to be, in my mind, and they should be rethought and sort of customized for each each project that you do and i think that's where you know again just get used to not knowing and for and not knowing what you don't know as well that's a, we can go with like that segment uh there's so many tangents like that particular thing you just said when it's a new study none of us really know it's so true and like research naive there's people we have clients I think you talked to us way back when you were starting about our client services, but like we have like 85 sites more or less that basically pay us a monthly fee to help them with everything. Like primarily it's to get studies and budgets, but it's really everything shoulder to cry on. We had a client recently. We told them not to take on this many studies, but he took on a bunch of studies and we create source for them and, you know, sort like when you create source, we always give them the caveat. Look, compare it against the protocol like we don't know your protocol there's no way we could know we have years of experience there's no way we're gonna know the protocol better than you should or your cra so when your cra comes at the siv rather than asking her to read slides all day show her your source and say hey is this okay is this the order 80 percent of the time the issues are the order of assessments is incorrect because you need to do certain order and this person's like yeah man you know i messed up but like I'm research naive and we tell them you we're all research naive when we start a new study. Like you're on the equal playing field. You may not know the process like somebody else does, but that protocol, you are brand new, just like everyone else doing that study. So that's not an excuse not to know your protocol. Like that's the grind. You have to, every new study, you got to learn it. You're starting over. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think also not to be afraid to like reiterate if you need to, you know, like you're going to get it wrong probably mm-hmm. at first. So just know, all right, after you see a patient and you go into your EDC and you realize, well, shit, I did this wrong, <laughs> go back and change it, you know, keep, yeah. keep improving it until you get, you know, closer to the, to the truth, you know, uh, don't let, you know, perfect be the enemy of good, as they say, you know, you gotta, you gotta get out there and start doing it. Mm-hmm. Preempt preempt the monitor by just doing your first capital plan right there. Like, <laughs> there <you> go. <laughs> I, I discovered it. This is what we're going to do to fix it. Um, okay. Employees put um, in, in a week, 
exactly a week from today, I'm interviewing what should be my third coordinator. This one, unlike the others and unlike my norm, um, comes from UC San Diego. So it comes from a academic, but I looked at their LinkedIn profile and it wasn't that long. So like, I, I see that as like almost negative, like, oh, thank God she wasn't indoctrinated long enough. <laughs> and right. it looks like she was in a patient recruitment role, but she's done some research coordinator things too. So I'm actually interviewing someone with experience, but you were saying that, you know, when you interview, you don't really get into technical stuff. So what are some things you would ask her if you were me next week during this interview? Well, again, a lot of times my approach for interviewing, it may not be <laughs> very scientific, but again, I, I almost try to make a lot of small talk and just get to know the person. I mean, look, at the end of the day, most of what we do can be trained, right? Um, train people on how to understand, you know, research, but there's a couple of underrated things. I think one is like working with people that you actually like and don't, <laughs> which Again, doesn't have anything to do with the research specifically. Uh, but then just the underlying things, like, again, are they going to be reliable and and trustworthy? Are they going to show up? Are they going to go be able to work without being micromanaged, right? And I think a lot of times you can get some of that stuff out just by having a, just by having a conversation with them, getting to know them as a person, you know? I don't know. That That's, I know, again, that's not a very strong answer, but a lot of times that's, that's what, how I perform my interviews. Again, I can read off the paper uh, or, you know, we can have a brief conversation. What did you do? What'd you do previously that, you know, we think might be able to sort of uh, relate to what you're doing now. But uh, I think uh, it's underrated to just, just talk. Don't not necessarily make them jump through a bunch of hoops because anyone also can answer. They know people know how to ace interviews now. Right. They know how to answer yeah. questions in a way that <laughs> what, you, what are your strengths? What are your what do you think is your biggest weakness? You know, people know how to spin that. Uh, but a lot of times if you can break down past that and just get to you know them as a person, I think you can learn a lot. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's essentially kind of what I do also. Um, very, very unconventional. But I think the smaller the site, the more unconventional you have to be. Um so yeah, thank you for that. I think it's basically confirming what I was gonna do. Likeabilities, especially at the smaller site level, super important. I think a lot of I think actually a lot of the, what these academics um don't bring to the table mainly because they've been jaded. Like the longer you've been there, the more generally the like more pissed off you are, um, and the more jaded you are at the industry. Well, it's something I I've noticed. Yeah, I know you've been kind of on your own for a while, but you know, the last job I worked in, it was a large hospital. But when I started, there were, I don't know, 15 or 20 coordinators, but everyone had their door shut. Nobody would talk to each other. It was just, you could like slice the tension with a knife walking into the office and it was miserable. You know, nobody, nobody liked what they were doing. It was, it was just people like running out the clocks on their day every day, you know? And I don't think that that's unnecessarily super rare. Again, if you go read some, you know, people's experiences at sites, it's, it's can be downright miserable. And you, to your point, like, you know, I still consider us pretty small, uh, all things considered, but it's, 
so much more important when you're a small tight knit group, you need cooperation. You need people that want to help each other and that can get yeah. along and, and get things done. I think that's again, just stupidly underrated. You have to have it. And in, in a small site like us, I mean, this person's literally going to take my desk, the room that we share, there's three desks. And so there's two girls now and me, and this person's <laughs> theoretically going to just take my desk and, allow me to work from home more often than not. So it's like literally you have forced to work together. You can't, there is no closing your door. We're in the same room. So you have to get along. Don't you ever worry? Like the bigger you get, the more processes you have to put into place that you're going to lose that culture. Of course. Yeah, I, I think so. And that's, again, I've stressed this with people. It's, it's a weird conundrum for me because I want to grow, but, I also don't want to grow, outgrow who we are. You know what I mean? To your point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because I feel like for better or worse, a lot of what we do is so relationship based, whether it be your coordinators, me and my coordinators or my coordinators amongst themselves, my coordinators and the PIs, the coordinator and the clinic staff that contribute to helping identify patients who let us, you know, work within their space. Uh, obviously, CRAs and sponsors, you know, and I feel like to your point too, as you, as you need to make more processes, you become a little less able to personalize and customize like what you do. And for better or worse, I do think that's extremely important in the success is not trying to make what you do cookie cutter. Like we already talked about, you get a new protocol, you got to sort of break that thing apart and make it work where you are, which means every doctor we work with is different their office is different. There's politics to consider. There's uh, the doctor's schedule, what, how the doctor likes to be worked with. You know, you have to take all those things into consideration. And so I think when you try to lay generic processes on top, you're setting yourself up to fail because you're not, you know, connecting in a way that makes the trial successful, if that makes sense. Don't tell some of these consultants that, Brad. They're going <laughs> to throw acronyms at you and say, well, you need a SMART plan or something like that. Uh, it's just nonsense. These people never managed a small, small clinic uh, before. You know, they, this might work at academic medical centers, but these kind of plans don't work. What works is like one-on-one, as close as you can get to one-on-one between the owner, ideally, or at least the site director and the employees as possible. And, I, I have noticed that, like, I don't know who your first employee was. Was it that lady that was on our live stream, the commenting that one time? Was uh, that your first? No, 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 I don't, I don't believe that was her, no. Um, but, like, your first employee, I mean, I don't know anything about them, but I'm assuming if they're still with you or not. But that that first one, you're literally in the trenches with them every day, right? For three, six months, whatever. Then that second one comes, at least this is what's just happening with me with you, McClanko Trails. That second one comes along. Your first one's kind of take some of that some of that responsibility from you onto the new person. But they're still equals more or less because I'm still there. Sure. This third one, who I'm going to hire, literally is going to take my seat. So it's like not even possible for me to be there and hold her hand it's really the other ones and then the fourth one even less so so i feel like the more i hire the more removed i am 
the less control I have, that's where I think things could potentially get messy, but also there's also benefits to it. So the benefits being because I'm not as close, one of the tendencies I have, it's a bad habit. My wife's been telling me from the beginning is like almost becoming friends with my employees, which sure. I don't know if I'll ever change it, but I've, I'm definitely a lot better now than a decade ago. I mean, no, I was literally I... hiring my friends, but right, right. <laughs> now I'm a little better, but that's still my tendency. And I wanted to get your take on this. Yeah, I know. I, well, I get what you're saying. And I also think that the nature of maybe our businesses sort of bring that out. Cause to your point, it's very hands-on, right? I can't just, I'm just not at a point where I can like hire people and be like, cool, go do it. You know, you spend a lot of time working with them. And another thing to consider is I'm guessing you like me, I don't know if this is good or bad, but you know, a lot, we are the business in a lot of ways, right? I mean, you and your relationships and your, uh, you know, notoriety drive a lot of your business. So you can't really replace that. You can't really scale that either. You know, you're always going to have that, uh, that, uh, role to some degree, it seems like. So, yeah, I mean, I think just because we're still, I mean, even now I'm still drawn blood. I'll still see patients. Um, I'm still doing a little bit of everything uh, for you. Is it because you want to, or because it's necessary? It's both. I mean, I think, you know, what I, I'm afraid of, <laughs> uh, I am afraid of like losing what we have in that regard, you know? So like, I want to continue to be involved and like, I don't know if you ever worked in a place where like the person managing has clearly never done the job. Like that sucks. Right. Like, I don't want to be that guy, you know? And I, you know, I did this not because I'm an entrepreneur who wants to start a bunch of businesses. I love this business and I love what I do. And the point's not to get out of it. It's to be, you know, do it the way they see best fit to do it. So I'll probably always be involved to that degree. And maybe so is that have... smart or not? Maybe not. Maybe it's not smart, but it's, you know, this is why I started my business so I can do things the way <laughs> I want to do you them. Want. And it's what you know. I mean, I'm the same way in many senses. Like, I feel like it's leading by example, um, it, you know, speaks louder than words. And the further removed you are, I know from my other sites that I had, you know, as, as you start to structure it and build systems, you, you lose, you know, you step out of the trenches for a little bit. You lose a little bit of respect when it's time to have a serious conversation with someone and say, Hey, look, you didn't do this. I would have done this. I mean, even if they don't tell you like, well, why didn't you do it? Or I never see you here. So how can right, you know right. what I'm dealing with? You know, that element. I think it's a necessary evil if you want to grow, but there's definitely something there. And, you know, I guess my defense mechanism has always been like, just, I think it's a retention strategy, honestly, for employees is, just to be like super nice like because i can't necessarily compete on salary most of the time so but i i know i could treat you better than most people and if i show you that you're more likely to stay with me longer but it has its own creates its own issues <laughs> also yeah but i know but you're right i mean that's a that's a very good way to put it and you know i'll say this we've not 
no one's quit in the five years uh, that I've, I've had this company. I haven't lost an employee up to this point. Mm-hmm. Again, not that there's like Oklahoma is not a place where you can go hopping around to other, other research opportunities necessarily. But I think, you know, as you like you, like I can't pay my coordinators as much as I would like to yet. Um, I try to pay them well. I take care of all their, their benefits and I pay that a hundred percent. But to your point, like what can you offer? Well, you can offer being a human being and, you know, maybe not being the best of friends, but treating them just like you would want to be treated, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, not, and I think to your point, some of that's not, it is being there and being present and being a resource for them. Uh, and not just being like, okay, I hired you, you do the job. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know about you, but I presume you're the same. I'm not, I'm not raising money to try to flip a business. I'm trying to build, grow this thing out and, and be a, a part of it. You know what I mean? And I think maybe that's the the difference is like, you know, not just trying to raise and, and sell, trying to grow. Build yeah. Something. Yeah, I know, man. It's like, well, actually with you, McClellan controls, I'm not sure. Uh, there's the opportunity definitely to flip it. And I've been transparent with my employees, but also there's the opportunity not to and just to grow it. So I'm not sure. I think it's just more the, the habit. Like I'm trying to not repeat the same mistakes I made at my other sites. And one of the the hardest things for me is like this employee management, because first of all, everyone's different. So you can't manage everyone the same. Second of all, there's no way you could ever make it fair. Like employee A, employee B, as fair as you try to make it, someone's always going to want to work a little harder. And somebody's always going to um, maybe want to advance their careers further than the other. So their career plans that they have for themselves are never the same. So it's a very dynamic environment, even with two employees. Right. And <laughs> as you add more, like you have 12 you know, I'm sure you can see this. Like one of the things I tell my employees is let me know what you want to accomplish. If you give me X number of years here, I'll help you do this. Like let's, I'm kind of like the line manager before I even knew what that was. All the CROs <laughs> have a line manager now to retain. Right. It's basically what I'm doing, except I think I actually can, can help a lot of these people. Um, so half of the battle is getting honest, but it's very tough for me to uh, be a disciplinarian because of the retention thing and let's yeah, face I, it like sometimes you need to like i mean have you had to fire anyone yet i haven't and i'm i think i'm probably like you i tend to give my employees a lot of grace and sometimes probably too much um you but think they take advantage i would say overwhelmingly no there have been instances and again i tend to be maybe too forgiving i guess depending on you know who you ask but i feel like like you if i stand back and look i'm like look these aren't you know this isn't it saying anything derogatory but like everyone is different these aren't i'm not paying these people six figures to go out there and make me millions sometimes these are people who in fairness aren't being paid as much as i'd like to pay them they don't necessarily have ambitions of being a site manager you kind of like you have to really take stock of like what you're, what you have. And then to your point, it's not always fair. Everyone's different. Mm -hmm. And I feel like as long as I know, I can usually work with that. Right. Like, okay, I know this person, they do need to be told what to do. They need a little bit of, uh, you know, guidance. And then this person over here, they're very ambitious. They can go get it on their own. 
okay, that as long as I know that now I can change my approach, which again, it goes back to that idea that like, you got to know, you got to know that you got to be there to recognize that to be. And again, is it fair to treat them differently? I don't know, but I think it's more effective to don't act like everyone's the same person, right? Mm-hmm. Like they work better under this environment and these people work better under this one. And honestly, when those things happen, I tend to just blame myself for not being doing a better job of missetting clear expectations or giving them the resources they need to do a better job. I, you know, so I usually yeah. consider that a failure of my own versus being mad at my employee, you know? Oh, a hundred percent. All the time. It's a failure of our own. Um, I think part of this interview is just picking your brain, even though I hate that expression on what you do <laughs> and how I do it seems like it's kind of similar. <laughs> so we're probably talking in echo chamber, but I know a lot of other side owners are, if they're not going through this, they're going to go through this. I've had a business partner before. It's not Chris. So Chris, if you're watching, don't worry. It's not you. <laughs> um, I think Chris is actually a really good manager. Uh, he doesn't get too friendly with staff but he is and i think he's like ideal actually for managing but i had a a former business partner at another site he was a tyrant man like employees would be afraid of him and come to me and then i would default to my strategy of you know well let's just hang in there you know how can i do and he would approach me and say hey why are you not being consistent like we're management they're workers um I had a PI before tell me you can't treat the foreman like you do the manager. And so the I, I often wonder, like, is there some truth to those statements? Am I just too far on this extreme? And <laughs> honestly, I don't know the answer, man. man I, that, I mean, I'm right there with you. I've been through the same stuff. And I, I don't know. Again, I've worked jobs where uh the managers are you know very removed and are more I don't know, tyrannical if you want to use that that phrase and frankly i didn't like it i thought it sucked mm-hmm. that might work in some environments but ultimately i think it comes down to again like that's not the environment i want to create it's not the culture i want mm-hmm. not that it's right or wrong or or indifferent because again i think those things can work in different uh situations depending on you know, how you, how you want to do things. Obviously there are successful companies where the leaders are jerks or whatever the case may be, but (laughs) that's just not how I want to do things. Um, and ultimately I tell people like, Hey man, sorry, it's Hightower clinical, (laughs) you know, if you want it to be be your name clinical, then you're, you're welcome to, you know, start your own company and run it however you want to. But have you told someone that yet? Oh yeah. I've told people that at Hightower clinical. (laughs) Sure. And And what do they say? No, nothing. I mean, I, I like to think I create an environment where like I can, my employees can talk to me and you're welcome to disagree with me. And look, I'm not saying that I won't take things under consideration because obviously I I do that. Uh, I am the first to admit that I'm not always right and I'm far from, far from right. And sometimes, sometimes I'm completely wrong. So, uh, but I think things that are more matters of preference, uh, because look, I don't know your experience, but things tend to work themselves out over time. Sometimes you just need some patience and you don't have to jump in and yell at somebody or discipline people. Sometimes you need to take a softer, softer approach and they work themselves out in time. And you've also avoided 
maybe embarrassing that person or pissing them off or done something that yeah you know you might have done if you had acted too hastily I agree. Uh, so again a lot of times I think it's just a matter of, of preference there's there's not necessarily always a right or wrong way to do things i think a lot of times just having time like letting time elapse between x event happening and your reaction um i've learned that early on like i had one one of my i think she was employee number three at my very first site in 06 she was an experienced crc came from usc and but she had a lot she had a lot of um baggage she brought with her and a lot of it was like manipulation tactics to looking back and i remember she did something where she was trying to get the employees the other employees against me and rather than reacting i was pissed man i just drove <laughs> i remember that day i drove to the beach and just like sat and looked at the water i was like 15 minutes away from the beach at that time i just went to cool off came back did nothing and then the next day I talked to her and it was like a lot better than what I would have done <laughs> right. if I reacted right then and there. Like I probably, she probably would have been gone. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> that's all it takes. And, you know, I learned this too before I even started in research is that you can solve a lot of problems just by listening. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. Just start the conversation, you know, like, Hey, what's up? What, what, you know, is there something wrong? Is there something we can do to fix? And then, not necessarily, you know, sometimes you don't have to do much other than listen, hear people out because a lot of times they just don't feel, don't feel heard or um, need to vent or get something off their chest. So I used to work in a plasma center and employees would constantly get in fights and bicker with each other. And I'd just sit them down together and let, and just do nothing, let them talk. And 90% of the time that would resolve, you know, the issue. So again, it's not always a, uh, I think it's about being being able to put your pride aside, not having too strong of an ego sometimes, you know? Yeah, that's definitely the case. And that's one thing I do work on. Like, I I think that's the strength of mine is not try not to have the ego. I mean, <laughs> the more of the, this is one of the things I was telling you off camera, like the more of these videos you make and the more podcasts you make, um, you get like, and you, you see this too, you get, I guess, a lot of undeserved praise and it's very easy to let your ego run wild and essentially become a cartoon character of yourself because we're sure. we're we're doing like a daily feedback loop like sometimes i tell you like i already know if i post this it's gonna do well and then other times you get surprised but um it's very easy to like manipulate that feedback loop and lose who you actually are sure you know because i know it works well for my post it's career motivation but if i keep doing that just to feed the loop i actually lose the essence of what i'm trying to do like that's part sure. of what my essence but not all of it and I, that's why i say becoming a cartoon character of yourself so i actually think this youtube stuff is helping me keep my ego in check for like being a manager um in some respects uh, and also networking with other guys like you who obviously know what they're doing. Like, I don't feel like I'm the only one, like, no, Brad does this. Dr. Fox is going to do this. Like who, who am I at the end of the day? Like if I, if my company went out of business, pretty much nobody would care except my PIs and 
the few employees I have. So right. I'm really like a nobody in the space. And that that's been helpful. Yeah, that's um, I mean, like I feel like that. I, and I just remind myself like nobody cares. I'm just a guy on cares, the internet. Man. I'm on the guy, I'm just a guy on the internet, you know, complaining. Uh so ultimately at the end of the day, it's you know, not what I feel like what I do in that regard is not impactful. So hopefully that's not <laughs> ever an issue to to my ego, <laughs> I hope. But I get what you're saying. Sometimes it's a little too easy to sort of you know, fall into that, that character, like you said, so to speak. I do think like you say, as you talk to people though, like we're all going through the same stuff, you know, like we all deal with the same problems. So I think it is very grounding to talk to some, even this conversation has like gone away. I didn't expect and been a little bit, uh, enlightening. I think like, oh man, we're dealing, we've dealt with the same problems and (laughs) sometimes in the same ways or different ways, but I think that's pretty, that's cathartic, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a dense topic, so we could shift to like a little less dense. I think actually the reason why I wanted to interview you on this topic was attracting talent. You know, you're in a community similar to mine, Yuma, where you're not like just finding talent dropping out of the sky. You know, you have to like kind of go out and get these people. And in your case, it's a lot of phlebotomists, MAs, CNAs, just like me you work with the natural resources you have at your disposal. Um, you're, you're, you made an indeed post, right? Where mm-hmm. it was very creative. You're like storytelling. You posted it on LinkedIn. I saw, I was amazed by this, man. Yeah. I mean, so I don't know. I went and looked, uh, I don't know. In other jobs I work, people are like obsessed with job descriptions and uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I don't, you go read them for coordinators. And if you're not a coordinator, first of all, a lot of it makes no sense. <laughs> you start reading about yeah. PIs and AEs and GCP and you're like, what? what even is that? So right off the bat, you're sort of creating like a intimidating environment for people who aren't in clinical trials. Um, and again, I just think back to like how I got into it. I was like purely by accident. You know, I was a phlebotomist. I was a great phlebotomist if I do say so myself. And, uh, I wanted something more. I felt like I was capable of doing something more. So again, I just tried to remember what that felt like and then try to appeal to people who were like me, you know? And I think there's a lot of people like that out there. You know, they don't love their jobs and maybe they love a part of what they do, but uh, want something, just want something more. So it's more about, again, like everything, just be a human being, like say it in plain words, you know? But your post, your job posting and your LinkedIn post was so radical because it's so different. So you literally wrote a story. You're like, hi, my name is Brad. I started out as a phlebotomist and I don't remember it word for word, but you got into pretty much got it. Yeah, (laughs) you got into like a story. And then I asked you the other day, like, how did that post do? Actually, I'm curious. And how did Yeah, I think I think we did. Yeah, we got about 40 applications in like a day and a half. Um, and I just shut it off because I didn't want to keep paying indeed. So far like, out, far exceeded the normal response. Yeah. I mean, it was way more than I expected for sure. Um, and you know, we were able to hire and we have a great phlebotomist and we're getting her, you know, all trained up on the, the research side of things. And uh, it worked out really well. And yeah, I got a lot of positive feedback from, I mean, I didn't think it was anything that special. I just thought it was dumb when you look at how most research job positions are listed again they're most like purposefully gatekeeping you know you're right man i did one and my second employee but it was very simple it's like hey we will teach you how to be a coordinator this is 
a great industry. Here's a video on like what I put one of my videos on um, nice. what it's about. It's not as far as a story. I think that's even better, man. So I think next time I'm going to do something like that. Um, okay. So now this person comes in, they're a new employee. <clears throat> what, what kind of training do you do? Cause we have, I put mine in the CRC Academy. I have the benefit of having that. So it's, it's free for our employees. So I put them in three months. You're not going to know day-to-day things necessarily, but you're going to know the basics, the fundamentals. So what do you do like new employee day one? What do you have them do? Yeah. I mean, frankly, for better or worse, it's a lot of shadowing. It's a lot of working with the the current coordinators. Uh, and I think there's some benefit in getting the sort of diversity of uh perspective from different coordinators because i think everyone's got you know (laughs) a little bit different way of doing things different way of seeing things so uh, i think it's for better or worse it's a lot of you know manpower like working with the different coordinators working with me as much as i i can uh i did have my some of my early coordinators go through the crc academy and i think it was a a big benefit because you're you do get exposed to like all the acronyms and concepts because as you know, like even as a day-to-day as a coordinator, coordinators can do everything or they can do a very small scope of things. So even that's Mm -hmm. tricky because no coordinators, no two coordinators are the same. What do you have? Um, Do you you have them be generalist or do you? Yeah, I try to keep them very general. Now they don't touch as much on the regulatory side. Um, I see. Because that's but, still you mostly. It, yeah, just because I can push it fast and get it get it done. I mean, they still will start to manage the binder after that, but it's more of like the startup I'll, I'll handle. But other than that, generally speaking, they kind of do the whole shebang. They'll consent, they'll draw the blood, they'll do the clinical assessments that they're delegated to do, collect the data, keep up with the patient, scheduling them and Meet everything. Meet PI for signatures, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly, yep. So again, it's even that varies though from study to study, depending on the complexity and you know availability and things like that. So as much as I, <laughs> I, I hate it in a way, I feel like it's still the best way because you're going to see hmm. more. It's just going to take a long time, you know. Uh, and then even then, it yeah. depends on where your studies are. If a study who's a study and follow up is much different than a study that's enrolling, um, and especially. Even sure. a study that's been enrolling for a week is different than a study that's been enrolling for eight months. Did you, know? you did you to kind of go and if you have to leave, just let me know, man. But this that's like a, we're going long. Looks like we're going long. This is you want a long <laughs> form, man. <And> that's true. <laughs> it's not the long form I really want to do with cracking open some of these. But it's way too early. For yeah, that. I got I got some down. Here. Yeah, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's... we started early for everybody out there who's who sees this. Yep. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm at the stage now where I have two employees, about to have a third. We have, uh, geez, six or seven studies. Probably two more starting soon. So it's a good amount of studies. I'm still at the point where I'm not assigning one particular coordinator responsibility for like, you're the lead CRC for this study. You are for this one. We're just all doing the same for every study. Mm -hmm. And I've already noticed, and this is, it goes against my philosophy 
I want everyone to be a generalist because I don't want to be too dependent on any one person because I've seen that happen in the past where they could take you hostage in a way, your employees. That happened to me in my first company and it won't happen again. I mean, they would do things I couldn't even do. Like I was like, geez, this person quits. Like even <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah, step in and do it. anything. <laughs> right, right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure. Um, so I'm not having that again, at least I, as much as I can control it. So what I'm doing to make things fair, because there are, even with these two coordinators I have, one is good at these things. The other is good at these things. It'd be very easy to, hey, you specialize on this. You specialize in this, but I don't want that. So I talked to them the other day. I said, look, we're going to have, and we still haven't grouped out the tasks, like the core tasks, like PI signatures, um, scheduling patients, pre-screening, IP accountability, regulatory maintenance, responding to monitors. And there's probably more I'm missing. These tasks, these these groups of tasks, Every week, I'm assigning groups of tasks to someone else. So this week, this is your job. Next week, this is your job. And we have it written on a board. So if something happens, there is one person that's responsible. Because the way it currently is, something happened and this has already happened. Things happen, you're like, well... Hey, we're all responsible. And I'm like you. It's like, well, ultimately, it's my fault. But how long can that go on? Like, we actually have to have somebody responsible. And it can't just be me every time. Otherwise, why am I hiring people? Right. So this is what I came up with that I think works well for small stuff, for a low number of studies. I think once you get to like where you're at, I'm not sure that works well. I think it's more traditional, like you're a, you're in charge of these studies, you're in charge of these ones, but you yeah. guys all back each other up. Like, what? Where, yeah. where do you go? Have you done what I am doing now and evolved not, into something yeah, else? Yeah, not exactly. It's been always kind of more of, you know, we've got a bunch of people cross-trained, obviously, across other people's studies. So it's more of like, these are the studies in which you're the lead. You've got your backup here now. If you guys, I'll let, I'll give you guys some leeway here as to how you want to manage that so either in a lot of instances the backup's not really doing much of anything there's there in some instances the backup might be actively involved and do just data entry to help that person out depending on which studies are popping and which ones aren't so uh, to some degree it kind of sorts itself out but going back you know like you it was kind of like everybody's on everything but i did find over time things sort of took on their own uh, you know, organization. And I don't know, I, I get what you're saying. I do think it's important to have that level of generalization. But at the same time, I, I wasn't necessarily actively like spreading the workout. And I get what you mean. That could be a bad thing because yeah, if you lose a person, then you could be screwed potentially. Uh, but I think even for me, it's like, I've always been the type to like, Look, I, I want to know it all and be able to do it all, but I'm going to double down on my strengths versus focusing right. on my my weaknesses. So I kind of let the coordinators lean into that as they saw fit, um, because ultimately, again, it's about like I want you to be able to do 
what you want to do. You need to be able to do everything. You need to be able to regardless, but you don't always have to, uh, just because it's like a, a rule that I want to, you know, abide a, by. I don't think there's like a, I don't think it's binary either. Like between right. zero and one, I think there's an infinite numbers there. Um, yeah, you're right. But to your point, I think, you know, if the worst happens, if your backup goes away or, and they were helping, you need to be able to step in and do the whole yeah. shebang, you know? So yeah. it's not that you, I say, oh, don't worry about learning that because you'll never need to do it. Well, no, you need to know, you need to know it now, whether or not you're actively doing it on all of your trials, I'll kind of leave up to you and the person you're, you're working with, because I don't want you guys fighting about who's doing what, because I told you to, you know, let, I'll let you sort it out. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's any right or wrong way to do it because there's problems on both ends. And yeah, um, I've already noticed that with these two coordinators and I have the sense of like knowing what happened in other companies, like I'm not new anymore. So even with my two staff, I already noticed one likes to do more data entry and IRB portals and all that. And the other one does more like patient facing things. And um, that's what they like. But the danger is, and this already started happening, when one is out, the other one says, well, I don't really know how to do that. She's yeah, been doing yeah. all this stuff. So I'm like, no, no, we can't. <laughs> what? Entropy. That's entropy. If you just, if I did nothing and just, just kept hiring us. more people, like <laughs> everybody would just fall into what they do. And yeah, they'd find a way to make it work because we have to. But when it all boils down to it, like you're creating like basically specializations, which is a small scale of like what universities do. Yeah, I, that's I fair. That's that's a fair point. And I will say, I mean, something I mean, I'm even experiencing as we grow is that I'm sort of like backfilling a lot of my processes rather than having had them, which I'm hitting that inflection point where like I really need the processes to be tight because like you said, it just becomes pure chaos. You know what I mean? But unlike a lot of people, I didn't start out like with SOPs. You hear people that are like, well, I need SOPs before I start. So I'm like, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't even know how it's going to work. So uh, I've probably gone the opposite direction in that, like, you know, trying different things to see what makes the most sense. And then, then standing back and saying like, okay, what worked the, the most or what, what was the most efficient or effective way to do things. And now we can start sort of reverse engineering, you know, how some of these processes work, but I, I've, I'm the type that's probably let that go for too long. Uh, without formalizing a lot of our processes mm -hmm. as good as I as I should. Now it's working because my employees have been great. You know, they kind of they get what's what needs to be done. But uh, if we get any bigger, I think it will be could get too messy. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Like, <clears throat> well, when I hear backstopping, I'm I think of me filling in when they're busy doing things because I can. I can do it. Well, I can do some things better than them um, or at least as good as them now, like labs, for example, like that's sure. another task I'm going to put, like whose role is it this week to do labs and go to FedEx or call FedEx, whatever you got to do, get the dry ice when they're busy. I do it. Sure. Um, and if I don't stop doing that, they just expect it, you know? So yeah, yeah. I don't do it all the time, but it's just, I don't know what the answers are, man. And as you grow, it just gets more complex too. So, well, and yeah, again, that's where I'm starting to really appreciate your, you know, 
small is the new big uh you know motto because that's catchy huh it is sort of like <laughs> i mean how far do i want to go before it's like not what my it's not what i envisioned anymore you know yeah. like and that's fine people do that they grow it out and become big corporate structure but i feel like again that's just at least for now that's not what i want you know but to your point i've got two coordinators who are new they've both been here a while now i just now got them into phlebotomy classes and i'm finally like you know what you're gonna have to figure it out you draw the blood i'm not going to be here to help you back you up and now i'm kind of throwing you into the fire you know but you got to do that i can't be here to you know Mm -hmm. always back everything up yeah yeah there exactly i think that's the right strategy there are some things that i will ask them if they want to do like that are a little bit outside of the scope of being a coordinator like what we ended our last podcast on the um, social media outreach content Mm. creation strategy there is i i offered it to both of the coordinators because i didn't want them to fight and say oh you get the fun stuff i don't so i offered it to both but i already knew what one would say yes one would say no i already knew but i just did it and it's exactly what happened. And um, it's not like I'm forcing the other one to say, oh, no, you got to go out there on camera and do this <laughs> right? Uh, because I need generalists. So I'm not like strict to this philosophy, but at least for the core job functions of what I think a CRC are, I kind of am and I'm kind of forcing it to. And it's not a bad, it's not a bad thing. You're getting exposure giving exposure to them and a lot. And I went backwards. I hired somebody with a marketing background to take some of our inbound advertising calls. We were getting a ton at the time Mm. and work on social media. And now I'm having her learn regulatory. Um, Cause you know, especially with Viva can all be done very remotely, Mm -hmm. uh, which, which, you know, allows that opportunity. So now I'm kind of started her from the outside, bringing her into the bigger, bigger picture of of research now in an ideal world i guess we could end with this because you have what you have 12 you said 12 employees yeah so let's say you get to like 22 or something like that and you know that if you streamline the business it's gonna be way better for you more predictable more efficient people become plug and play their job satisfaction is maybe not going to be as good um, or maybe it's just more boring for them, but it works better for you. Do you keep it the way it is or do you go in that direction? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a bridge, you know, I'll have to cross someday. You know, Jump. look, if you're, if you're, yeah, right. Well, if you're listening to this, go, I put, I made a post about this, but it applies to sites and like these newly, formed iros but like go to glassdoor read some reviews mm. they're some of them are just embarrassingly bad you know and these are companies with millions of dollars and resources well beyond what i'll ever have access to and again for me that's like what i don't want to become right mm-hmm. i, I want to continue to create an environment where people want to work they like what they do there's no reason that you know we can't have <laughs> some balance uh between the two so I don't know. It'll be a good call. Talk to me in five years when I'm exhausted and the rest of my hair is falling out. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a different, maybe I'll have a different perspective and maybe I'll be like, you know what? I don't care. I'm ready to, I'm ready to sell out on this thing. But right now, I mean, again, it's, I want to build slowly and sustainably 
and mm-hmm. at least keep the vision as much as I can for as long as I can, you know? And if that's a pain in the ass, then it's just what it is. So be it. So you're, you're like me in the sense where you're an artist, at least still in the sense of you're creating your work for others. Also, that's the revenue we get, but also for yourself to some extent. Um, yeah, I think Man, that's, that's not a bad way to put it. I've never thought about it that way, but you know, especially from someone who used to be a musician. I like that. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Man. As an, yeah, as an no, artist, there's, I like there's that. two types of artists, man. They're the ones that only care about what the others think and they sell out. <laughs> and there's the ones who never sell out. So they're broke, right? <laughs> right. The starving artists. Yep. And then there's the ones that kind of balance that dance and make a living and also true to themselves. Um, that's the, uh, that's the that's the grind, isn't it? Trying to get it right. I guess it's a good way to end it because we can just go another three more hours. But <laughs> Brad, note the file. Everybody go check him out. Note the file podcast. Um, Brad Hightower. His LinkedIn's underneath. If you're not connected with him, what the hell's wrong with you? Go do it. <laughs> and thank you, Brad. It's good to catch up, man. Yeah, dude. Always. I'm sure uh, I'm Sure, we'll have plenty more in the new year. I appreciate the opportunity, oh, man. man. Happy New Year. And what a way to end 2022 with this is the last, pod- last podcast of the year for me, man. So I'm honored. Um, yeah, man. Me too. So thank you, Guru Nation. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye bye.